because every college writes down the aid that they're going to give you on a different format, it sometimes becomes very confusing to sort out what's what. Hey there, my name's Lily, and you're listening to Mindful Admissions, a podcast by Strive to Learn. So, financial aid, nobody's favorite part of the college admissions process. I think we can agree. If you're a college student, unless you happen to be in a position where paying for college isn't an issue, you're virtually guaranteed to have some interaction with financial aid resources on a university level, on a state level, and on a federal level. So for me, that process means that I'm kind of the point of contact between my parents and my university. I get all the emails, I fill out all the forms, and I receive a financial aid award that needs to be unpacked. And that can get tricky, especially when I have to decipher really dense fiscal language or you know, God forbid, try to negotiate my financial aid into a more favorable position. Students are sort of expected to navigate this process no matter their personal familiarity with the financial aid options in the United States. And I could argue about the ethics of that all day, but for now, we're going to hear from Claire Law, an expert uniquely qualified to help students figure all of this stuff out, given that she's both an educational consultant and so really well-versed on these topics, and also a mother to three college graduates, so she's been through this before. Our series of financial aid podcasts are always aimed at deconstruction of complex topics, and this one will be no different. So if you're able to, I recommend getting out a pen and paper to take some notes, since Claire and Amanda will be dropping a lot of helpful tips about deciphering your financial aid award throughout this episode. All right, I think that about covers it. Let's go to Claire and Amanda. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our financial aid uh, webinar and podcast. Um, We're here today with Claire Law, um, a nationally recognized college financial aid expert, educational consultant, certified educational planner, professional speaker, author uh, of two books, and founder of Educational Avenues, which was founded in 1999, meaning she's been doing this for over 20 years. Um, She is the proud mom of three college graduates, moved to her favorite city in the entire world, which is Charleston, South Carolina in 2006. Um, And now she's the the instructor for navigating the financial aid network at UC Irvine, where she teaches IECs how to help families navigate the financial aid process. Claire just finished writing a book, which I can't wait to talk about later in this uh, podcast. Um, But for now, I know I just kind of covered a lot of bases, Claire, but tell us a little more about uh, what you do and why you're here today. Thank you so much for that generous introduction. And uh, also thank you to our listeners for taking the time to listen uh, to this podcast. And Amanda, I um, want you to introduce yourself. You are from Strive to learn and you were in my class. Yeah, and, uh, so, yeah, so um, my name is Amanda. Uh, I'm a college counselor at Strive to Learn Tutoring. Um, I have been a college counselor there for a couple of years um, and have had several different types of students, but I'm still learning along with the best of them. So we are, that's why we have Claire here with us today. Um, I'm also a tutor um, for a test prep and subject um, subjects of all sorts. So um, today we're talking about the college journey, but you might hear me talking about something else another day. Um, and you know, today uh, we're we're going to be talking about a specific point in the financial aid journey. So if you're listening to this, I hope that you can 
um, find yourself in the position where you are being accepted to colleges and receiving financial aid packages. So typically that's a spring of junior or a spring of senior year, not of junior year, when you will be receiving these packages and you might be getting these letters in the mail uh, or on your portal and you're not totally sure what you are doing with them or even how to read them. Um, so that's why we have Claire here today to give us some tips and talk us through the process because ultimately this is gonna be a huge factor in the decision of where you're gonna to go to college. You wanna make sure it's affordable for you as well as fulfilling and intriguing and exciting and all of those other things. So that is the place that we are um, today. So very good wrap up. Very good. And um, again, just backing up a little bit, we are assuming that students have applied to college, have chosen their majors, in, you know, with a view to what careers the majors might lead to. It's really important for students to identify their natural strengths, whether they are uh, practical and realistic in their thinking or whether they are imaginative and creative. There are fields of study and work preferences for all types and combinations of personalities and students. We trust that at this point you have chosen colleges that fit your preferences, your, your learning style, personality preferences, and now you are at the point where you've applied, you've been accepted, and you are looking at those financial aid awards. Financial aid awards indicate how much aid the college is going to give you. And because every college writes down the aid that they're going to give you on a different format, it sometimes becomes very confusing to sort out what's what. So the purpose of evaluating your award letters is really to compare apples with apples, not apples with oranges, but apples with apples. One principle, which I'll start off with, is when you are looking at not just your acceptance letter, but also the award, the financial aid award letter, one thing you should notice is that the financial aid from the federal government is the same or almost the same across all colleges. Because let's say that you are eligible for a federal Pell Grant. If you are eligible for a federal Pell Grant for $2,133, you should be eligible for the same amount at all colleges. If you are eligible for work study, you may and may not be simply because a college may not have enough work study jobs, but certainly if you're eligible for a subsidized portion of the direct loan, that should be available to you no matter where you go to school. So what I'm saying to you is that the federal aid is portable to any college. It's your aid. It's federal aid to which you are entitled to and eligible to receive because of your parents' income tax return, because your parents' um, financial situation and has not, nothing to do with your grades and test scores. Federal financial aid, the free portion is given to students who demonstrate a great deal of financial need. Now, if you didn't get the Pell Grant, 
it means that you, you, your financial situation was not at or below the poverty line, so, but you're still eligible to receive federal loans. Students are eligible to receive $5,500 in federal student loans in first year. That amount you can take anywhere. You can spend it at any college. Frankly, it's not aid that the university or college is giving you. That's aid that you're eligible to receive. And you can take that anywhere you go, anywhere that accepts you. And I so think... That's a really, I think that's a really, really valuable thing to remember that when we're, we're talking later about comparing aid packages, um, it, it might be misleading when you keep seeing the same numbers over and over again, thinking, well, this college offered me the same, but it's still more expensive. We're, we're going to be talking you know, breaking it down a little bit about why some universities do offer you more aid uh, from their own pot rather than the federal pot as well. And I think, Claire, you mentioned um, work study, and I know this might be a little regressive for some students, but could you explain a little bit about what that is just for anyone that hasn't ever heard of it before? Right, right. And it's a very good question because it's the, the term work studies thrown out there, but there's federal work study, which means the government is paying, is giving the college some money to employ you. And then there is just work study, which means there are jobs on campus that are that have nothing to do with financial aid, and you're just simply applying for them, and you're trying to earn some money while you're off or on campus. So federal work study, however, is awarded to you by the financial aid administrator at that college, and it's called self-help. So it's a form of self-help because it is not a gift. You have to put in the time and work, the number of hours needed to earn the amount that the financial aid administrator has put on your award letter. No more. You can, if you don't find a job, then that's just a, an offer that didn't pan out. So you, as soon as you register, you get to college, you got to go to the work study table and try to sign up for jobs that are classified as work study. And the other caveat that many students don't know is you don't get more work study than what the financial aid administrator has awarded you. So do try to work all the hours that you can to reach that point. So if financial aid administrator gave you $2,500 work study, um, you know, go for it, try to earn that much, because it's not like you can say, oh, I want to do more work study. No, that's the amount that the financial aid administrator gave you. And also the work study appears on your financial aid award. And it, 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 um, it, it's, it's deducted from your cost of attendance, which is your overall cost. But it doesn't mean that it does, because if you don't find work study or if you don't deposit your paycheck at the bursar's office, then that's just pocket money. And whoever is paying the rest, usually parents, will have to pay more. That so you might want to think about that. A really good point. Yeah. Work study looks on the surface just like a job. <laughs> so, you know, you have to apply for it. You have to send your resume. It, it is also really great job experience because you can have work study jobs that are 
you know, relevant to your major sometimes. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're they're working as a receptionist in one of the academic halls. And, and that's also valid because I think it's a little bit of space maybe away from your studies and away from thinking too much about your major. Um, but at the end of the day, you get paid that money and you have to deposit it and put it towards your tuition and your books and other living expenses. And I know that there are some people who use that money for other things, um, like going out to dinner with their friends or um, Claire, I think your favorite is the Starbucks coffee every morning. Um, but I think um, it, it is a tremendous responsibility and a great opportunity as well. So that's you know something to keep in mind if you're offered it and something yeah. to take advantage of as well. I agree. It's, it's and, and, you know, the college experience is arranged in such a manner for the student that even when they're studying business or finance or economics, everything is kind of paid ahead of time. And it's designed to almost intentionally make the student forget about the cost of their education. And I think that it's the first time that a student is going to borrow a loan and establish credit, even though the loan is from the government. So it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to learn about money management and um, living expenses. How much do you want to spend while you're in college? And if, if it isn't explained to you, or if you fail to grasp your financial situation, then it's easy to kind of go through the college experience and graduating with $30,000 in student loans. And it might come as a shock that you have to pay $400 a month to pay them back for 10 years. That's 120 payments. So I tell my students to pay down the interest on their $5,500 loan in first year. Many students get a Christmas gift of money from grandparents, aunts, and uncles. There's a perfect opportunity to pay down the interest on the loan that you're borrowing. Again, if you have, uh, if you demonstrate need, if your family demonstrates need, then part of that loan will be subsidized, which means the government is paying interest on it. So out of $5,500, $3,500 could be subsidized, and then you'll be paying interest only on the $2,000 left over until you graduate. And then interest accrues on the whole entire amount. So just to make sure that students understand this, students borrow $5,500 in first year, $6,500 in second year, and $7,500 in third and fourth year. Once you add the loan fees, interest rate, students typically graduate with around $30,000. So don't make your college experience longer than four years. And if you can make it shorter by bringing in your AP credits and dual credits, do it, especially if you are attending an expensive school. So um, I think that you brought up a really, um, a really interesting point um, about how there are varying uh awards or varying loans that you might be offered throughout the years. So in the first instance, so in this moment, when you're getting your acceptance letter and you're getting your first financial aid award, um, there might be something listed there, you know, maybe a, a merit scholarship, maybe loan options. Um, and I think 
what you said about how every year it varies and the amount that you can borrow or the amount that you're offered in merit aid is a really important topic that most students don't know. Um, can you maybe break that down a little bit more um, about the other variables that you might have? Sure, sure, sure. So the, the federal aid um, is consists mainly of loans. And if the family demonstrates need, part of those loans will be subsidized. Now, the award package will also include the scholarship that was offered to the student when the, when the student was, was admitted. Many students receive award letters in, a sent, in, in essence when they're admitted. So you'll get a, a letter from, uh, you know, Goucher, Juniata, whatever liberal, art, liberal arts college or university you're applying to. And it'll say, welcome. We're so happy that you applied. We want you to come. You're admitted. And here is a scholarship for you for $15,000. Come to our college. We want you. That $15,000 that you saw in the admission letter, you will now see it in the award letter probably broken down by semester if the school is on semester. So 7,500 in first semester and the other 7,500 will be dispersed in second semester. Likewise, your $5,500 of student loan will be dispersed in 2,750 in first semester and then the other half 2,750 in second semester. So don't get confused the amount of federal aid and your scholarship will be divvied up by the number of semesters or trimesters that your college is on. Okay, so we talked about federal aid, which you qualify for a certain amount and you can spend it at any college you want. Then there is merit aid, and that's a variable that you as a student can definitely control by getting good grades, maybe taking the standardized tests a couple of times so that you can get the best scores you can. And those are ways for you to shave off the cost of college. I have a question about merit aid before you move on. So is merit aid the same at every university? Or would some universities offer you more merit aid and other universities offer you less depending on their student pool? Yeah, the second, the second is, is the right answer, as you know. You I know could, that. <laughs> yeah, you, you're, a, you're a college counselor. You know that darn well. Yes, if a student, so for example, a student, um, you know, let's talk about uh, Jen, Jessica. Jessica could apply to her in-state flagship institution, which typically they're selective, like UMass Amherst, UVA, UNC Chapel Hill, um, all of the flagships, University of Michigan, University of Vermont, University of New Hampshire, these are all fairly selective schools. They don't have a lot of merit scholarship to give out. And their scholarships tend to be smaller if they have them. So it's more likely that you could get a departmental scholarship than one at the admissions level. However, if the tuition is very high, especially private schools will discount them by giving you a sizable scholarship. For instance, you could be a 3.5 GPA out of four with um, 
19 ACT and still get a $15,000 scholarship at some of the smaller liberal arts colleges that don't have a big name recognition. It doesn't mean you'll earn less. You learn just as much, if not more, because you get a lot of individualized attention. But these smaller colleges have upped their tuition, and so they can discount it a lot more. So you have to, again, compare apples with apples. Your in-state institution may not give you as big a discount through your scholarship, but the starting cost of attendance is lower than a private institution, which by necessity will discount more and therefore will cost nearly as much or even less than your in-state institution. Again, it depends on which school you're applying to. But I tell my students, good grades and test scores, I'd like money in the bank when you go to college, and I encourage everyone to do the best work that they're capable of doing while they're in high school. Don't you agree, Amanda? Yes, that is amazing insight. Thank you very much. So we were going through a couple of different uh, things that you had already talked about and sort of where we were going next before I so rudely interrupted you with that question. Um, what, so we are kind of moving through the process. What else do you think we need to know from here? Okay. What, what, you, what students need to know is that they are considered dependent on their parents. Unless they're orphans or wards of the court, they're not independent students. In other words, they can only borrow the amounts of loans that I told you. The parents, it's the parents who pay the lion's share of costs. It's the parents who take on more loans if they haven't saved money for college. So let's hear it for the parents because they're facing retirement. And if the student selects an expensive school or a college that doesn't treat the student preferentially by discounting tuition substantially, then the parents are working very hard to make it possible for that student to go to college. And I know that um, some students are aware of how that works and in fact, some of them are working to help their parents pay for rent and utilities. And then others are not aware of even how much their parents are spending on, on utilities. The interesting thing is that the, if you're applying to a, a school that only uses the FAFSA form, they will not look at your parents' income tax returns with a fine tooth at comb as the colleges that use the CSS profile form. But if you don't have, if your family doesn't have many assets and is very low income, and if you can get accepted to a CSS profile school, chances are if, if that school covers 100% of demonstrated need, you will actually pay less. So again, Grades are like money in the bank. But the, the vehicle that parents use most often to pay for college is the Federal PLUS loan, which is a loan for, it's a parent loan for undergraduate students, PLUS PLUS. And that is a more expensive loan than certainly the loan for undergraduate students. It has a higher interest rate of five and a half in 2021 
and it has four points origination fee. So 4% origination fee out of $10,000 is already $400. And then you have a 5%, 5.5%. So you then have the daily accrual of interest and it gets to be a, an expensive loan. So if you are aware that your parents have a limited income and you want to help your parents not go into debt, then try to select a school that costs less for you. And you will know that by looking at your financial aid award. By looking at your financial aid award, you need to transfer those awards, the loans, grants, scholarships, and parent loans onto a form that will allow you to compare apples with apples. So for example, if you were to go online and look for the college financing plan, just type in college financing plan, and you will get a website with a form that shows you what an award letter should look like. It was designed by the federal government for the colleges to use, but they're bad boys, they're not using it. So what you want to do is you wanna print that out and enter the awards that you've been given by each college. So if you want, if you have three award letters, print three college financing plans so that you can put them down on the table and enter the awards. And you will notice very quickly that the questions are, what is the cost of attendance for the upcoming year? Some colleges don't even tell you that. Well, then you can call and ask them. It will probably be three to 5% more than they charged this year. But you wanna add tuition, room and board, loan fees, cost of transportation, cost of books and supplies, etc. Once you have the cost of attendance, you want to subtract all the gift aid, not loans, all the gift aid, such as your scholarship that was given to you in your admissions letter and your Pell Grant, if there was one, or any grant that the institution gave you, unless the institution gave you a grant that's contingent upon your living in in the residence halls for all four years. So that's not, it's a kind of tongue in cheek grant. So I wouldn't put that on the college financing plan. Then you subtract the cost of attendance from your gift aid, and that is your net cost. That is your out-of-pocket cost, and that does not include the loans. Then, then you can look at how, ma how many loans you are supposed to take out in order to pay the balance. And that is how you assess how much it'll cost you to go to college, and you will compare apples with apples. How much will it cost you to go to college A versus B versus C? And never including the loans, because loans are obligations that you have to pay back whether you or your parents, you will at the most pay back $5,500 after first year. But your parents could be paying a lot more. And so you might want to be aware of that and have a conversation with your parents to see how they feel about borrowing $20,000, $30,000. And if it's too much, if it's just not affordable for your family, you can call the financial aid administrator and let them know that 
or you can shop for a less expensive college. There is nothing wrong with going to your in-state public institution or even community college because you will pay a lot less. And if you're a motivated student, your head is screwed on tight and you know what you want, you have your goals and you're going to follow your plan, you'll spend a lot less. In fact, Amanda and I were just talking the other day at our college experience, how I went to a four-year college that cost a lot of money for my family when I could have easily gone to the community college and picked up more skill there and then transferred after two years, I could have saved myself a bundle. And I probably would have grown into a more mature and secure person by doing that. Yeah, I think, um, you you know, all of this talk about how to make a four-year um price tag work on your parents' budget can be um, a little head spinning because you think there's just no way that my family can afford a $20,000 a year price tag in a loan or in cash or anything. Um, and I, I definitely have to say that community college can be a really great um, option. And I know that's not always what people want to do when they set out on their application um, journey, especially when you have the applications come in as accepted and you're like, oh my gosh, I really want to go to UCLA. I just really want to do it. Um, but maybe you're out of state and you can't afford it. Um, it can feel really awful to turn that down. But you also know if you got in once, you can do it again because you will maintain that ability to be a really great student no matter where you are. Um, that's why they accepted you in the first place is because they believe in you. Um, and I actually know this is my favorite go-to community college story. Um, I know someone exactly like that. Um, he was accepted at several four-year universities that he loved, but just didn't really feel good about his major choices. Didn't really want, can't, couldn't really justify spending 20 grand, you know, a year out of pocket to go. Um, so he went to community college and he transferred to Berkeley and now he's at a neuroscience program at Harvard as his, his, um, graduate degree. And it's because he was a consistently amazing student at community college at Berkeley, you know, it didn't matter where you put him, he was trying his best. And I think, um, you know, anyway, I don't want to preach too much about it because that's not what we're trying to do, but um, it's an interesting conversation that we can, you know, talk about at any other time if you all that are listening have questions. Um, and I think what you said, Claire, about printing out this sheet and writing in, physically writing in your award letter is really important. Um, because sometimes these award letters are very confusing and they are not all written exactly the same. So if you line up one letter next to another, they might not look similar at all. And you might actually have to do a little fact-finding hunt um, for your appropriate numbers. Um, so writing it someplace that you can physically see apples to apples, as you say, um, is, is a really important exercise. So, yeah, so that's really great. Yeah, I think that's that's that cannot be emphasized enough because affordability is is very important. It's not just starting college, but it's graduating from college. It's a long, long road. And sometimes I come across students who qualify for the federal Pell Grant, which means that they have a high level of demonstrated need. In fact, if a family 
has a, an adjusted gross income of less than $60,000 in 2023 24, they will qualify for a Pell grant. And not the whole thing, but a part of it. But that means that the family has substantial need. And so students should try to make the best of their years in college. And as much as community colleges have been maligned, they are excellent in providing students with uh, an inexpensive associate degree. The associate degree is two or three years. And if you were to get an associate degree in nursing, you would be able to get a BSN, which is the bachelor's in nursing or even a master's in nursing from that program. In fact, here in Charleston, South Carolina, the Medical University of South Carolina has a master's degree program for nurses, and they prefer to accept students from the two-year community college because it offers more hands-on practical training. They have more labs, they have actual patients that the students can practice on. And so they're more prepared for MSN, which is the master's in, uh, in nursing. I think that the community colleges are maligned because there are students who are there to pick up credits and maybe they're there just because they didn't get into a college and they have to build up their GPA. But, but the truth is, if you get into some of their batch, uh, associates of arts or design or mechanics or engineering, you will get a very good education. And, and then you can transfer and go on to where you want. The key is to not break the budget and go broke in your first or second year of college. It's where you graduate from. And like I said, college is designed to just have you pay at the beginning and then sail off into the sunset, have fun. But it's really important for students to take control of the process and talk with their parents about it and really assess the price value relationship. What am I really getting out of this? Because some students are trying to go to highly selective schools because they think that when they graduate, it'll be easier to find a high paying job. So they're looking to lean into the name school so that they can earn more when they graduate. In fact, the people who earn more when they graduate are those who went to school because they wanted to learn, really worked hard. They chose a field for which they were suited and they go on to be very successful people. Um, so, and I think on, on that note as well, just to kind of debunk the myth that a lot of my students and other people have explained their students as well. Um, I think that, yeah, that a, a big name brand, brand school automatically means that you will be in a high paying position. Um, and speaking from experience, um, that's not necessarily true. Um, you don't have to go to the, you know, the big name, name brand college to get a good job because most of the time you start out at like an entry level position anyway. Um, unfortunately, even if you have amazing internships and you learn so much, you'll just be better prepared for those entry level positions and you won't, you will have the confidence to take them and to keep, you know, 
punch, punching above your weight, so to speak, um, in those positions. Um, but it doesn't, I mean, somebody that went to Harvard, for example, or someone that went to a smaller liberal arts college that wasn't as big of a name brand, will both equally have to start at the same level, unfortunately, when they when they leave. So, um, so that's a little bit of a, a, a myth debunk. Um, and speaking of as well, taking this control into your own hands. What do everyone always talks about the appeals process? Can you appeal a financial aid letter, or is it just kind of sealed? Like, what you know, what's what's the deal there? Oh yeah, sure, you can appeal a financial aid letter. You just have to know what to appeal. <laughs> so um, you you can't just show up and say, "I don't like this. I want more money." One of the things you need to know is what is the minimum amount that given your parents and your family's income and assets, your family's financial situation, what is that amount that you would be expected to pay from your own resources? And so it's called an expected family contribution and soon to be changed, to change its name to student aid index. If you go onto a website and launch a browser and type in EFC calculator. The college board will pop up a page that's called EFC calculator. And you can click on federal methodology and institutional methodology. And then you and your parents can enter all the information as accurately as you can. And at the end, it'll tell you your expected family contribution. This means that your family is expected to come up with a certain amount to contribute because colleges, well, the formulas behind the forms are based on the four-legged stool. Student income, student asset, parent income, parent assets. A percentage of these is put together and that's your expected contribution. So you shouldn't make the mistake. Don't go, don't go to the financial aid administrator asking them to pay your expected contribution. They will not. That's something that you and your parents should have saved up. And if you haven't saved it, then you can borrow, that you'll be given a loan. Don't make the egregious mistake of showing up asking for that amount, which according to the formulas, you should have been saving for yourself. That's so what you're saying is, yes, you can appeal it, but just become prepared with um, already knowing how much you qualify for um, and how much the FAFSA that um, you filled out, you know, way back when, last fall, hopefully, um, basically said that you you qualify for. Um, and uh, that's, again, that's not always something people really want to hear um, because I think it's, it's a little bit heart-wrenching to be like, oh, this is really, this is it. <laughs> this is all I get. But, um, but it is important to know, especially if, you know, if you're listening to this and you're actually not a senior yet looking at your, 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 um, your award letters and you're just learning um, just to know that when you're building your college list, you do have to keep in mind that you have a certain amount of aid that you are entitled to and that there's not a ton of wiggle room beyond that other than private scholarships that you can apply for outside of the FAFSA and the university itself. Right. So 
once you have your expected contribution, you and your parents have an amount that you need to pay for yourselves, then the college is likely to have given you a scholarship, which will further reduce your net cost. And then is there a gap between the federal aid and any aid the college gave you and the scholarship? So add up your expected contribution, your scholarship, and any other aid that the school gave you. It, they might have given you $1,000 of need-based scholarship, for instance. Add all that up. How far is that from the full cost of attendance? Let's say that adds up to $15,000 and the cost of attendance is 30. You still have $15,000 in there. That is a gap. Let's say your EFC is 10,000 and your scholarship is 5,000. Now, 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 now you have $15,000, but the cost of attendance is 30. So you have a gap of $15,000, even after you pay 5,000, even after your family pays 10,000, there is a gap of 15,000. So you have to figure out if your parents can do it, and if they can't, just move on to a cheaper school. Don't take any debts that you don't think you can pay off. And unfortunately, the most um, unprepared and unaware student is likely to say, oh, I don't care how much it costs. I definitely want to go to NYU or you know, UCLA or whatever. It's whatever hot school pops in, into your mind. And that is when students get starstruck or you know, blinded by a name school. And that's when you have to go back to the college financing sheet, look at it realistically, not through wishful thinking, and take a good look at it and decide, okay, I'm gonna work in the summer, I'm gonna earn X amount, my parents are gonna work extra, maybe take a second job, they're going to earn X, X amount, and what is there left to pay? So do those calculations, because when it's all said and done, you don't want to graduate from college with too much debt. I mean, we have a trillion point seven in outstanding student loans. Somebody out there started college thinking they could pay them back in a jiffy, and yet they haven't. A lot of people and something else to keep in mind as well. So I think one of the, one of the terms that we've mentioned a few times is the cost of attendance. And in order to kind of figure out that gap and to fill out the sheet that we were talking about earlier, um, just to remind you, you can find the cost of attendance on the, every school's website. So if you go to UCLA's website, there will be a cost of attendance um, and even uh, because cost of attendance has so much to do with physically where the school is located, um, every campus is different. Even if like, for example, UCs, the University of California has the same tuition, room and board is gonna be different, cost of books is gonna be different. So definitely take a look at that just as a reminder um, for anyone that is doing a little digging um, into your your actual costs. And they're, they're, they're pretty accurate for the most part. I mean, I think there's things that you can't, uh, always predict such as, you know, concerts or 
whatever else fun things. But as we were talking about earlier, this is a really great time for families to talk maybe for the first time about a budget um, for you, for your spending. Um, and I think it's a great soft landing into the real world because you can talk to your parents about what is a reasonable amount of money to spend on fun or clothes or um, extra stuff. Um, and it can be kind of awkward. I think that, you know, students don't always talk about it amongst themselves. So it can be kind of uncomfortable to say, oh, my budget's only $80 for like the whole week. Um, but I think that it's also a really good exercise because there will always be differing opinions on what, you know, your friends are doing versus you. Um, so, so yeah, so this is a really, it's a, it's a really good, even if you are not super concerned about the gap, or even if your decision-making process isn't a hundred percent, um, hinging on how much you're going to have to pay out of pocket for a university, it's still a really great conversation to be having with your family, um, about long-term spending and long-term saving and year on year budgeting as well. So that was my little aside about, I think it's good for them to do a budget. They, the college calls the cost of attendance, the student budget. Uh, when, uh, when my students go to college, they call their budget, their spending money, their pocket money after they've, you know, gone out or, um, now today's students are getting smarter. They are buying used textbooks, they're downloading them from the internet, or they may go to the library because the library of the college has to maintain two copies of of textbooks per course. And some students are able to go to the library and find their study group. They borrow the textbooks and then they have to buy them. So there are ways to cut costs. And And um, with Facebook now or any other social media platform. A lot of times there'll be groups where um, the person that took the class last quarter or last semester will offer up their books um, for like $10 or $5 just so they can get it out of their dorm. Um, So that's something to take advantage of as well. And you can save some costs in the, in the long run, but you gotta be smart about it. And um, you know, you can't, you can't say, Oh, well, I've got, you know, a $15,000 gap. So I'm just going to like, buy cheaper books. Um, that's not going to totally fix the problem. Um, but it's something to think about when you're considering, you know, your, your spending budget. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, so students can also earn up to around $7,000 because they have an income protection allowance. So students who go to colleges that use only the FAFSA can earn up to I think this year in 2021 is 6,434, but anyway, they can earn money and it will not be considered available funding for college. So it will be excluded from the federal formula as opposed to if they go to a school that uses a CSS profile like Wake Forest, Davidson, Duke, um, uh, UNC Chapel Hill, these colleges are using the profile. So they will require a contribution from the student anywhere from 2000 to 4,000, like Princeton wants $4,000 contribution from the student. So depending on where you attend and the financial aid policies of the college, you may pay more or less depending on your family's finances. And it's, it's good to shop around. It, 
it's good for young people to get a taste of budgeting and making choices, making financial choices. Because after all, this experience is, is your experience. Um, it's, it's, it's very much in your hands, how you want your future to pan out. And I think it's um, very important not to um, sort of shoot your foot before you get out of the gate and get yourself into, you know, $30,000 with a debt um, before you even have a job, um, especially if your interest is something like, for example, for me, I didn't have a clear path when I was at school. I knew that I wanted to study English and I'm thinking, I don't know what job I really want to, you know, to do with this. When I was a freshman and I accepted, I didn't know where I wanted to go with it. Um, and I think that's absolutely okay. And I think every student should have the option to figure it out um, without also carrying around this awful burden of, oh my gosh, but I just need to pay the bills. Um, so that's just um, something to keep in mind for flexibility of major as well. And so you don't have to like force yourself into doing something that you know will get you a job that you really don't want to do. Just because you can get a job in nursing doesn't mean you have to study nursing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, just to have that flexibility is, um, I think, a tremendous relief beyond just the the parent and both of us that want you to not overspend. Um, there's also just the teacher, both of us that want you to be able to explore without being worried. Um, and I think, you know, as you're shopping around and as you're comparing, you can also compare things like um, expenses for travel out to the university itself. So um, you don't necessarily have to live at home, but if you go to a school that's close to home, you won't have to buy a plane ticket every time you want to come home. Um, and I'm sure that's something you thought about, but in when you're comparing these different universities and these different award letters, it's maybe useful to write a whole note section on like extra expenses that aren't included in the COA or aren't included in, you know, our original thought process when we applied. Um, because when you're applying, sometimes you're just not even thinking about it. You're like, I just want to go to college. I'm just going to send the applications. This seems cool. Ugh. you know, and I, I get that. Um, especially since, again, that flexibility, you want to be able to make the choice and you don't have choices unless you send out applications. Um, so yeah, having a second little section where you write down, and it does sound extremely pedantic and kind of boring, um, but it also kind of maybe could turn into an exciting um, imagination session. It's like, what is this experience going to be like? And it allows you, I think, even more than just bringing your attention to the finances. It allows you as well to imagine yourself physically at the school. If you, if you go through this process and you really think about the costs, because you think, oh my gosh, like I really love going to Coachella every year, but if I'm in Utah, that's going to be impossible. I, I could, I, you know, so um, I think that, you know, that's an extreme example, but I think it's important for you to imagine yourself in these positions by way of making a, a budget and a finance plan. Mm -hmm. Very much so. And um, I think that the federal website is getting better and better. Uh, it's called um, finaid.org and uh, collegeplanning.org. And, um, and so any websites that you can find where the government is supplying the information, you can be pretty sure that, that it's legit. So um, we're running out of time, 
but this has been really awesome. I want to sort of hear a little bit about the next book that you're publishing so that you can also tell everybody listening um, to take a look out um, because I had specifically Claire tell us the very basics, but um, having spent 10 weeks listening to all of her great knowledge, I know that there's so much more that she has to offer. So tell us a little bit about your book that's coming oh, out. Thank you. Yes, my book is called Control Your College Costs, and it will be available on Kindle and paperback on Amazon uh, starting April 1st, 2021. And it's about helping students and parents evaluate their options financially. And um, it takes you through the uh, federal and institutional methodology so that families can understand how they are evaluated. And, um, and then it shows the example of students, how they fared at certain colleges given their ability to pay. And, um, and it basically gives you some strategy, strategies for evaluating awards, appealing awards, and um, understanding how the entire financial aid system works so that you can calculate your own expected contribution and you can choose colleges that are affordable so you can get a degree without going broke. And thank you so much for having me today. I would love to continue this conversation and answer any of your students' questions. Yes, feel free. Um, if you're listening to this after we recorded it, you can um, send me an email or also go over to eduav.com or is it .org? .com. It's .com. Um, .com. .com. Yeah. Yeah. To, to get in touch with Claire, um, who is a wealth of knowledge. Um, and um, sounds like your book is going to be amazing. Um, also, like I'm, I'm all about making uh, financial aid um, mumbo jumbo, so to speak, more clear, more accessible. Um, and I think it's really important to educate yourself so that you, you don't become just part of the system, but you can control the system in, in your own way as well. So Okay, um, and thank you so much. Her. And I'm sure that we will do this again. You be well, be healthy, and be a wise shopper of yes. higher education. <laughs> and thanks to everyone for coming as well. Okay. Thank you so much. That was Counselor Amanda Merrifield in conversation with expert Claire Law, exclusively on Mindful Admissions, the Strive to Learn podcast. We've got lots more where that came from, so stay tuned for future episodes, and don't forget to subscribe. As a small business with a podcast production team of exactly one, we'd appreciate any support you can give, including likes, downloads, shares, and good reviews. Got something you want to learn about? Ask us questions in the comments, or DM us on Instagram at Strive to Learn Tutoring. Get the latest updates on the college admissions world and be the first to receive exclusive offers when you subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, www.strategylearn.com. Thanks for sticking around and I'll see you next time.